Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Last week you got an assignment, which was try and use the word behold in your regular conversation. And I'm guessing everyone failed on that assignment, right? Uh, you know, when the Dolphins won on Sunday, I was like, behold, because it was an exciting <laughs> win, right? Versus the Eagles, we know there's a couple Eagles fans in here. But what's interesting about sports is, um, you know, you, you, you believe, you see the final score, and then you kind of step back and you behold it all. And in the stories that we're looking at, people are beholding before that's even really hit them what they're supposed to believe. And what's happening in these Advent stories is quite shocking to the characters as they experience them in real time. Uh, To behold means simply to pay attention or to look intently and examine what's happening. We're going to be on page 582 of our CSB Bibles. If you need a Bible, would you go ahead and raise your hand? We're going to be reading out of the ESV, and the reason is the ESV makes that word behold so much more clear in these Advent stories. But if you're following along in the CSB, it's on page 582. I'm going to ask Ebony to come forward. She's going to read our scripture for us. Today, we're going to be looking at Behold the Virgin, Behold the Son. And our key verse is really going to be Luke 1, 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. I'm going to pray for us, and then Ebony is going to read from Luke 1. Jesus, be with us today. Open up our eyes that we can understand more fully who you are, that we can see God's deep concern and care and love for this world. Change us, shape us, give us greater belief. In your name we pray. Amen. Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this may be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child, will be born, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your res- relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the, the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word, and the angel departed from her. The word of the Lord. Amen. 
I love having conversations with people about the Christian faith who don't believe in the Christian faith. And one particular friend of mine who I run into in downtown Hollywood a lot, I love his honesty. He's a psychiatrist. He's a deep thinker. But as I talk about the Christian faith and God's love for the world and God's concern for the world and how he sent Jesus into the world and how he's coming back to the world, he just slowly kind of looks at me and goes, I don't know. I don't know. The world seems like such a broken place. There is so much evil in the world. How can you believe that God cares about the world and that God actually wants to do something in the world and that God isn't distant but is present working in the world? I don't know. But the truth is, if we look around, you know, sometimes we feel the same way. So we look around and we see even what we prayed for earlier, the violence that we've seen in our city. We go, where is God? Does he care? Is he ambivalent? As we look around the world and we just count the number of wars going on and the conflicts and injustices, we go, where is God? Is, is he not silent on those things or does he have something to say? And as you look at your own life and things, some things have worked out the way you've wanted them to and many things have not, you wonder, is God ambivalent not just about the world, but about me? Is God ambivalent? Is he distant? Is he silent? Many people struggle with these beliefs. Two authors named Paul Frost and Chris Bader wrote a book called America's Four Gods. And in that, they just asked people, uh, what do they think God is like? And 24% said God is distant. He's distant. He doesn't really care. He's not really present. And another 16% said, God is silent. Like, he really doesn't have anything to say about human affairs. It's almost as if he started the world and then just sort of backed away. And he's like, I got better things to do. Well, it's interesting as we come to this story, um, God actually had been silent. When we are exposed to Mary in this first chapter of Luke, God had literally been silent for 400 years in Israel. That is to say, there had been no prophet who had spoken God's word in 400 years. The presence of the Lord was not in the temple where God was supposed to dwell. There had been no messenger that had come in 400 years to talk to people about God. And so God was silent. And then on the scene, we're exhibited with Mary. Mary, we know that she's famous within the Christian faith, but what you might not know about Mary is that she is a teenage peasant girl in the far remote little town of Nazareth in the unimportant country of Israel in the Roman Empire. In other words, Mary was insignificant. Mary was probably 13 or 14 years old. Not only that, but she was not middle class or upper class, she was lower class. She was a, just a peasant girl. She was engaged to someone named Joseph. And in those days, engagement was more legal. You couldn't break the engagement without also calling it a divorce. And they were engaged in the town of Nazareth. Now, Nazareth would be the sticks in Israel. It was insignificant. It, it had nothing really to do with Jerusalem, the main city. But not only that, their country as a whole was insignificant within the occupying force of the Roman Empire. So here we have this insignificant girl of an insignificant age, 
from an insignificant social class of an insignificant town and an insignificant country in an insignificant time when God has been silent for 400 years until a messenger comes from God. The angel Gabriel shows up to Zechariah, Mary's family member, but then he shows up to Mary. And in verse 30 and 31, he gives this announcement. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. It's interesting that Mary has found favor with God. What that means is that God has chosen Mary, not because of something in Mary, but because he is gracious. She's found favor with God. She has not done anything. She's insignificant. But she is going to play a unique role in God's story that spans decades and centuries and generations and generations. Mary has received the grace of God. And that unique role that she's going to play in his story is that she's going to be a virgin who gives birth to a son. So not only does she have a unique role in the story, but an unbelievable event is going to occur in her very womb. And here we are with our questions about God. And what we're told in this text is to behold the virgin. In the midst of our questions, if God is silent, if God's ambivalent, if he's distant, if he cares, we're told to behold the virgin. Pay attention. Look intently at what's happening to Mary, because what's happening to Mary is God is acting miraculously, compassionately, decisively for this broken world in her womb. Well, if you know anything about the Christian faith, you know that this is one of the big miraculous events. We call it the virgin conception, the virgin birth, the immaculate conception. And many people go, I'm off the train right there. Uh, A woman cannot have a baby unless there has been a man involved. And I'll just leave it at that. You all know the rest. And because of that, many people look at this particular letter that's written by the Apostle Luke and say, listen, we're not really meant to believe that Mary conceived miraculously in her womb because all this stuff is myth and all this stuff is legend. Every religion has its own myths that it pushes for people to believe. And this is just another example of that. Except that's not how Luke treats the story. In fact, Luke, of all the gospel writers considers himself a historian who has sorted through actual events and asked people to fact-check what he's reporting. In this very chapter, verses earlier, in in verses 1 through 4, we'll put the text up. It's a long text, but I want you to read it with me. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that's who the letter's being written to, 
that you may have certainty concerning the, concerning the things that you have been taught. In other words, just verses earlier, what Luke is saying is this is not mythology, this is not fairy tale, I'm writing history as I've gone myself and fact-checked from eyewitnesses what has been reported. And Theophilus, I'm going to do this so that you can have certainty about what I'm telling you in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And you can go fact-check with these eyewitnesses if you do not believe that it's true. See, the problem with believing that the virgin birth is myth, myth or fairy tale is that it's not presented that way. This is presented as like a history book. So that Theophilus and us can have certainty that this is not mythology, it's historical event. And as far as we know, when Luke's book went out to the world, no one was able to disprove it. And so it's hard to say that this is just mythology. But, okay, we'll go there. What about science? What about science? I mean, like I said, woman needs man in order to conceive. But Mary herself seems to get science. In verse 34, she asked the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? In other words, though Mary lived centuries and centuries before the scientific method, she knows about the birds and the bees. Her mother or father has had that conversation with her, and she gets it. And she knows that how will this be? How can this be? Now, her family member, Zachariah, was visited by this same angel earlier in this book. We have that record. And he asks a similar question, except his question is not how will this be, but how can I know this? In other words, Zachariah's question is a little bit different because he says, I want a sign. Like as if the angel from God in front of him isn't a sign enough. He's like, give me a sign that my wife is going to become impregnated by me because we're old. Zachariah and Elizabeth were old. They had not been able to have a child. And so in one sense, we get what Zachariah's question is, but Zachariah's question is different because even though the angel's standing in front of him, he goes, I don't know how it's going to happen. And the angel pronounces a judgment on Zechariah for his doubt. But Mary's different. Mary believes, because the angel's in front of her, she believes that God will act. She just wants to know the science of it. Like, how will this happen? I'm a virgin. I'm not laying with Joseph. How am I going to get this baby into me? And the angel answers. But he doesn't answer with science, he answers with a supernatural, miraculous act of God. In verse 35, he says, here's how it ha will happen. The Holy Spirit of God will come upon you. The power of the Most High God will overshadow you. In other words, this isn't going to happen by natural processes. This is going to happen by a supernatural process. And then the angel goes to explain to Mary that her family member, Elizabeth, has also gotten pregnant in her old age by her old husband, Zechariah. And the angel says in verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. The other day, one of my children asked me, is God supernatural? And I thought it was a great question. Is God supernatural? Because as we experience the world, we see that there is a natural order to things. If I take a seed 
and I plant it in the ground, and it gets some water, and, and, and it gets some sunshine, it will grow, right? More than likely, it will grow. Now, that's the natural process of things. But if we planted that seed in the ground and went back out the next morning, and it grew six feet, that would be supernatural. That would be not ordinary, but extraordinary. Something out of the natural order would have had to happen to make that plant grow overnight six feet tall. And God, who is the creator of the natural order, is outside of the natural order. So he created things to work a certain way, but at any moment he is free to reach in and do what he wants within the natural order because he's supernatural. He's not material, he's spirit. He's not human, he's God. Now I know a lot of people say, well, that's unreasonable. I only believe in what I can see. I only believe in the natural realm of things. I only believe what I can prove. Well, can you prove that the natural realm is all that exists? You can't. Can you prove that there is no supernatural realm that we can't reach into but can reach out to us? Can you prove that, that it doesn't exist? No, you can't prove that. See, we all have this element of faith. Whether it's by faith you believe in the supernatural world or by faith you believe that the natural world is all that exists, you, you can't ultimately prove that. There is an element of faith. In fact, even as we talk about science and miracles, even as we talk about the virgin birth of Mary, there is a sense where even materialists who only believe in the material world still believe in a virgin birth. Here's what I mean. Glenn Scrivener says this, Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus, materialists believe in the virgin birth of the cosmos, choose your miracle. Choose your miracle. In other words, in the Big Bang Theory, you believe that something came from nothing. Well, where did that something come from? Well, something. Well, at some point, you're going to have to say something came from nothing. That is a type of virgin birth that's taught in the Big Bang Theory. And what Scrivener's saying is it's not that one of us believes in miracles and the other one doesn't. We both believe in miracles. Just choose your miracle. Vince Vitale goes on to say that what we're saying in the Big Bang Theory is that the universe itself would create itself out of nothing. There would be spontaneous creation. The Big Bang Theory is itself a virgin birth of sorts for the whole universe. But here's the problem. If we believe in the virgin birth of the universe, it ultimately means that there's not much hope. And here's why. Vitaly goes on to say that if the virgin birth of the universe is real, it means the universe is blind and it's indifferent towards you and to me. If the universe is an accident, and you're an accident, then you really have no purpose. There is no meaning. The universe is not out to help you have a better life. It's not on your side because the universe is not self-aware. The universe itself would be an accident. You would be an accident. There's no hope. There's no meaning. There's no purpose in anything. Everything is accidental, and you and I are alone. We're stuck here in this perpetual cycle of humanity. 
Fleming Rutledge says that humans live under this hellish cloud, this cycle of human evil that happens over and over and over again where we can't get out of it and we can't fix ourselves. She says all the technology and science in the world have not been able to stop people from hating each other and killing each other. All the psychotherapy and Prozac that we can throw at the problem has not been able to make the Christmas dinner turn out right. Human history is the same thing over and over. Rebellion and violence and fratricide and death over and over and over. And I I love that, what she says. We have all this technology and medicine, and we can't even guarantee that the Christmas dinner is going to come out of the oven right, number one, but number two, that there's not going to be a fight around the Christmas table about something. If we are an accident, there is no meaning, there is no purpose, and we are by ourselves, and we can't fix ourselves. But in the midst of that, God says, behold the virgin." In the womb of Mary, God has reached through and God has acted for the benefit of the world because he loves the world. Rutledge goes on to say, we are not left to ourselves. Something has moved. It is not human beings who have moved. It is God who has moved. The power that created the universe with a word and can equally destroy it with a word is not against us, but for us. God has moved Not we to him, but he to us. What is happening at Christmas is not from man, but from God. This is what the virgin birth signifies. God is not ambivalent. God is not silent. God is not distant. He is compassionate, decisive. We say, God, do something, and he says, behold the virgin. Conceived by God in the womb is an action of God in Mary. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. Now I understand that that action is beyond category. We're we're talking about a virgin birth. I was thinking about this, and there's really only a few movies that touch the topic where, like, a a character has a virgin birth. Star Wars is one, and I can't think of any other. And the reason no one touches it is because it's ludicrous. It's crazy. It doesn't make a good story to talk about a virgin birth, and no one really believes it. It's beyond category. But the reason that the virgin birth is beyond a human category is because the one that's being conceived in the womb of Mary is also beyond human category. The one that's being conceived in the womb of Mary is not the best. Nor is he the best of the best. He is in a category all by himself. He is in a category all by By himself. In verse 32, the angel says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
In verse 35, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And by the Son of God, it does not mean that he was created out of nothing by God. John 1 tells us that this one coming was with God in the beginning, and he's placed in the womb of Mary by God because the one in the womb is himself God. As Vic Pence says, he is an infinite infant. An infinite infant. Not only is this one in Mary's womb divine, but he's an infinite infant. If we go back to the Old Testament in 2 Samuel 7, David is given this promise. King David is given this promise by God about his throne and his crown and his descendants forever to come. If you know in that day, it was easy to get knocked off the throne and be replaced by someone else and have someone else take your crown. But God gives King David this awesome, awesome promise about his descendant. In 2 Samuel 7, God says about this descendant, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In other words, God is saying to King David, Your descendant will be on the throne perpetually, without end, forever, for eternity. God's rule would come to full expression through David's son. In other words, God was aligning his power with the throne of David's descendant. They were one and the same. So God would show his righteousness and his justice and his mercy to the world through David's descendant. God would give expression to his love and his mercy in this broken world through this king that was to come through David. But the problem was in the Old Testament, David's family seemingly fell off the throne. There was no king in David's line. Now hear what the angel says. In verse 32 and 33, he describes this infinite infant. The Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be what? No end. So here's Mary whose husband, Joseph, if you noticed earlier, said, it said that Joseph is of the house of David. And here's Mary, this 13-year-old teenager in this podunk town, in this little country, in this huge empire. And the angel's saying, Mary, the one in your womb is going to be the one that gets restored to the throne of David. And all those promises really are about this one. But not only that, this one coming will reign over the people of God not just for his lifetime, but forever. And not only that, his kingdom will be, there will be no end. So the Roman Empire expands from east to west, but the kingdom of the one coming is going to be as far north as you can go, as far south as you can go, as far east as you can go, and as far west as you can go. And maybe Rome's empire will end at some point, but this one coming from your womb, Mary, he will never get off the throne. See, when you begin to understand the promises that God is going to bring to expression in Mary's womb, it only makes sense that the arrival could only come miraculously. This is beyond a human category. See, as you behold this Son of God that's coming from Mary's womb, 
we see that God is not ambivalent. He's not ambivalent because he sees the brokenness and the oppression and the evil of this world, and he invades the world with a king to outlast all other kings and a kingdom to outlast all other kingdoms. He's not ambivalent, and he's not silent. He sends the angel Gabriel shouting, Look at the womb of Mary. Behold the virgin, because as you behold the virgin, you see that God has acted, and you behold the Son of God coming into the world. And God is not distant because God is sending himself to be one of us in Mary's womb. A God-man who's going to live and have to clean the dirt off his feet and sweat and wipe the tears from his eyes and bleed red blood just like the rest of us. God is not distant because he comes near in his son. He's not silent because he's pointing us to the womb of Mary. He's not ambivalent. The question is, are you ambivalent? God is not ambivalent to this broken world. The question is, are you ambivalent to his son? Are you ambivalent to what he's doing in Mary's womb? Do you behold the son of God? In verse 31, the angel says this, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. It's interesting, I read a story that many people are choosing their children's name based on the possibility of social media branding. So in other words, if there's an open hashtag that would make a good name... (laughs) Some of you are shaking your head. (laughs) Okay. What's interesting about Jesus' name, it it wasn't that there was no other Jesuses at that time. I mean, Jesus, it comes from Yeshua, which has to do with Joshua, and Joshua is someone who was famous in the Old Testament. And so when the angel gives Jesus' name, he's not branding Jesus in a sense because that's the only hashtag available. What the angel is doing is, is telling Mary what this child's name will be because there's really only one name that will sum up what this child is going to do for humanity. You see, what Jesus means is simply this. Yahweh saves. Yahweh, the great God, I am, saves. It wasn't that his name was unique, although his name was important. It was what this person has come to do is unique. To bring salvation into a broken, hurting, oppressive, evil world from a God that is deeply concerned and compassionate about that world. Let's read this verse again, the most famous verse in the Bible. John 3.16. Put those lenses on as we read this knowing that this was what Jesus said when he started his ministry. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Yahweh saves. Whoever believes in him, whoever believes in the son, is not condemned 
But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. See, to behold the virgin is to believe that God has acted in this world, that he is not ambivalent, that he is resolved to bring healing into this broken world and offer reconciliation to a rebellious world, and that he's not silent, he's pointing to Mary's womb, and that he's not distant, he's so close that he himself was birthed out of one of us. But to behold the son that comes out of the womb of Mary is to see Jesus, the Savior of the world, from God to us. Because he's not ambivalent, and he's not distant, and he's not silent, he deeply cares about this broken world. Do you believe? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of sinners? That in Jesus Christ you see God's deep concern for this world and for you. When you begin to understand what's happened in Mary's womb, it changes everything. It becomes the most important decision you make. Do you believe in Jesus, the Savior? Larry King was interviewed once, the great talk show host Larry King, and he was asked, if you could meet one person from history, who would it be? And Larry King said, Jesus Christ. He's not a believer. He said, Jesus Christ. And the the interviewer said, well, why, Larry? Why would you want to meet Jesus Christ? And he said, I would like to ask Jesus if he indeed was virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me. Robbie Zacharias, who's a Christian apologist, he defends the faith, he read that quote, and he got word to Larry King, and he said, hey, Larry, can I use that quote? And some of Larry's people got back to Robbie and said, yeah, Larry said that you can quote him on that, and Larry wants you to know, Robbie, that he's not being facetious. In other words, if he could meet one person, he really would want to meet Jesus, and he really would want to ask him, are you virgin born? Because if you are, that changes everything. That changes everything. So as you behold the Son of God, what do you believe? He was a good teacher, but that's not all he was, because he himself taught about himself that he was, in fact, the Son of God. You can't just behold the virgin and behold the son and go whatever. You can't do that either because it either is or it isn't. This is either worth everything or it's worth nothing. There's no in between. He either is the son of God and the savior of the world or he isn't. It's either everything or nothing. And my guess is that most of you believe that there is something unique about Jesus Christ. That there is something special about him. That there is something about him where he was one of the greatest human beings, if not the greatest human beings that ever lived. And even more so, you might say, there's something about God in Jesus. And the reason that there's something about God in Jesus is because Jesus is God's son, the Savior of the world. Do you believe? Earlier we said, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. 
See, in the womb of Mary, in the virgin birth of God's son, we see that God deeply cares about the world and you. He sent his son to the cross to pay for your sins. And so we say, I believe that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. When you believe, you are reconciled to God. When you turn away from running your own life and turn to Jesus Christ, you become God's own child. Do you believe? We believe on the third day that Jesus rose again and he ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is the Savior who defeated death on our behalf. The one enemy that we all have, he came to conquer and destroy. And now he's enthroned in heaven, resurrected and ruling and reigning as David's son, the eternal king, who can never be knocked off his throne. When you behold the virgin, it is a call to believe that God acted miraculously for the world. And when you behold the son, it's a call to believe in Jesus Christ the Savior of the world. God is not ambivalent. He's not distant. He's not silent. What happened in Mary's womb, what the angel told Mary from God is for you. Mary responds with beholding and believing. In verse 38, I love how she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Today, God is not distant. The question is whether you are distant from him. And if you are distant from him, believe in the Son and be reconciled to him. Today, the question is not if God is ambivalent towards you. The question is, are you ambivalent towards the Son that he sent for you? The question is not whether God is silent. The question is whether you are silent about the one you're told to behold in Mary's womb. Behold the Son, believe in the Savior Jesus Christ, come to Him, serve Him, worship Him. If you believe in Him, this is the most important decision that you could make. You can have peace this holiday season because you know that Jesus means that God is not distant. You can have joy during Christmas time because you know that God is not ambivalent about you. You can have hope because you know that God is not silent in Jesus Christ. Do you believe? If so, you are saved. Jesus means Yahweh saves. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came for sinners like me and sinners in this room. We pray that we would behold you and believe in you and more clearly see you and love you and worship you and even, as Mary said, serve we ask that you would deepen our faith and trust. Thank you for coming for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcasts. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.